Chapter Thirty Two of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter Thirty Two. Moving. Esther made to herself a pleasure of getting the little dwelling in order. With two such helpers as she had, the work went on bravely, and Christopher got in coal and chopped wood enough to last all winter. The ready money from the sale of Bonaparte had given her the means for that and for some other things. She was intent upon making the new home look so homelike that her father should be in some measure consoled for the shock which she knew its exterior would give him. The colonel liked no fire so well as one of his native sea-coal, the house had open fireplaces only so esther had some neat grates put in the two lower rooms and in her father's sleeping chamber they had plenty of carpets and the two little parlors were soon looking quite habitable we will keep the back one for a dining-room she said to mrs barker that will be convenient for you being nearest the kitchen stairs and this will be for papa's study but it has a bare look yet i must make some curtains and put up to hide the view of that dreadful street "'That'll cost money, Mum. observed the housekeeper. "'Wouldn't some of them old ones at home be passable if they was made over a bit?' "'The color would not fit here. "'No, that would not do. "'I'll get some chintz that is dark and bright at once. "'I have money. "'Oh, we are going to be rich now, Barker, "'and you shall not be stinted in your marketing any more, "'and this is going to be very nice. "'Inside.' "'To the outside, Esther could not get accustomed.' it gave her a kind of prick of dismay every time she saw it anew what would her father say when he saw it yet she had done right and wisely of that she had no doubt at all it was very unreasonable that her judgment being satisfied her feelings should rebel yet it did rebel when did ever one in her family live in such a place before they had come down surely very far to make it possible only in the matter of money to be sure but then money has to do largely with the outward appearance one makes and upon the appearance depends much of the effect upon one's fellow-creatures the whisper would come back in esther's mind who will believe you are what you are if they see you coming out of such a house and what then she answered the whisper if the lord has given us this place to dwell in that and all other effects and consequences of it are part of his will in the matter what if we are to be overlooked and looked down upon what have i to do with it what matters it let pride be quiet and faith be very thankful here are all my difficulties set aside and no danger of not paying our debts any more she reasoned so and fought against pride if pride it were which took the other side she would be thankful and she was nevertheless a comparison would arise now and then with the former times and with their state at seaforth and further back still with the beauties and glories of the old manor house in england sometimes esther felt a strange wave of regret come over her at the thought of the gay circle of relations she did not know who were warm in the shelter of prosperity and the cheer of numbers she knew herself in a better shelter yes and in a better cheer and yet sometimes as i said an odd feeling of loss and dissent would come over her as she entered major street esther was working hard these days which no doubt had something to do with this she rushed from her morning duties to the school then at three o'clock rushed to major street and from there when it grew too dark to work drove home to minister to her father probably her times of discouragement were times when she was a little tired 
the thought was very far from her usually. In her healthy and happy youth, busy life, and mental and spiritual growth and thrift, Esther's wants seemed to be all satisfied, and so long as things ran their ordinary course, she felt no deficiency. But there are conditions in which one is warm so long as one does not move, while the first stir of change brings a chill over one. And so sometimes now, as Esther entered Major Street or set her face towards it, she would think of her far-off circle of Gainsborough cousins, with a half-wish that her father could have borne with them a little more patiently, and once or twice the thought came, too, that the Dallases never let themselves be heard from any more. Not even Pitt. She would not have thought it of him, but he was away in a foreign country, and it must be that he had forgotten them. His father and mother were near, and could not forget. Was not the old house there before them always to remind them? But they were rich and prosperous and abounding in everything. They had no need of the lonely two who had gone out of their sight and who did need them. It was the way of the world, so the world said. Esther wondered if that were really true, and also wondered now and then if Major Street were to be henceforth not only the sphere, but the limit of her existence. She never gave such thoughts harbor. They came and they went, and she remained the cheerful, brave, busy girl she had long been. The small house at last looked homelike. On the front room, Esther had put a warm, dark-looking carpet, the chintz curtains were up and in harmony with the carpet, and the colonel's lounge was new covered with the same stuff. The old furniture had been arranged so as to give that pleasant, cozy air to the room, which is such a welcome to the person entering it, making the impression of comfort and good taste, and of the habit of good living, not good living in matters of the table, but in those other matters which concern the mind's nourishment and social well-being. Everything was right and in order, and Esther surveyed her work with much content. "'It looks very nice,' she said to her good friend, the housekeeper. "'It do, Mum,' Mrs. Barker answered with a reservation. "'But I'm thinking, Miss Esther. I can't stop thinking. Whatever will the colonel say when he sees the outside?' "'He shall see the inside first. I have arranged that. "'And, Barker, we must have a capital supper ready for him. We can afford it now.' "'Have a pheasant, Barker. There is nothing he likes better. "'And some of that beautiful honey Mrs. Bounder has brought us. "'I never saw such rich honey, I think. "'And I have good hope Papa will be pleased and put up with things as I do. "'Your Papa remembers Gainsborough Manor, Mum, and that's what you don't. "'What then? Mrs. Barker, do you really think the Lord does not know what is good for us? "'That is sheer unbelief.' Take what he gives and be thankful. Barker, why do you suppose the angels came to the sepulchre so, as they did the morning of the resurrection? Mum, said Mrs. Barker, quite taken aback by the sudden change of subject. But Esther went on in a pleasant, pleased tone of interest. I was reading the last chapter of Matthew this morning, and it set me to thinking. You know a number of them, the angels, came, and were seen about the sepulchre, and I suppose there was just a crowd of them coming and going that morning. What for, do you suppose? Miss Esther, said the housekeeper open-mouthed, I'm sure I can't say. Why, they came to see the place, Parker, just for that. They knew what had been done, and they just came in crowds as soon as Jesus had left the sepulchre, perhaps before, to look at the spot where that wonder of all wonders had been. 
but it never occurred to me before how like it was to the way we human creatures feel and do. That was what they came for, and don't you remember what one of them, with his lightning face and his robes of whiteness, sitting on the stone, said to the women? He told them to do what he had been doing. Come see the place. It brought the angels nearer to me than ever they had seemed to be before. Mrs. Parker stood there spellbound, silenced. To be sure, if Miss Esther's head was so busy with the angels, she was in a sort lifted up above the small matters or accidents of common earthly life. And as much as the words, the girl's face awed her too, its expression was so consonant with them. Now, Barker, Christopher may bring up some coal and make a fire before he drives back for Papa, in both rooms, Barker, and, hark, what is that? A long-drawn, musical cry was sounding a little distance off, slowly come nearer as it was repeated, a cry that New York never hears now, but that used to come through the streets in the evening with a sonorous, half-melancholy intonation, pleasant to hear. Oysters! Oysters! Here's your fresh oysters! That's just what we want, Barker. Get Christopher to stop the man. Esther had arranged that her father's room and belongings at home should not be disturbed until the very day when he himself should make the transfer from the one house to the other. So until that morning, even the colonel's sofa had not been moved. Now it was brought over and placed in position between the fireplace and the window, where the occupant would have plenty of light and warmth. The new chintz cover had been put on it, the table was placed properly, and the books which the colonel liked to have at hand lay in their usual position. In the back room the table was set for supper. The rooms communicated, though indeed not by folding doors. Still the eye could go through and catch the glow of the fire, and see the neat green drugget on the floor and the pleasant array on the supper table. It looks very nice, Barker, Esther could not help saying again. It certainly do, Mum, was the answer, in which, nevertheless, Esther heard the aforementioned mental reservation. If her father liked it, Yes, that could not be known till he came, and she drew a breath of patient anxiety. It was too dark for him to take the effect of anything outside. She had arranged that. One thing at a time, she thought. The house today, Major Street tomorrow. She met him in the hall when he came, giving him a kiss and a welcome, helped him to take off his greatcoat, and conducted him into the small apartment so carefully made ready for him. It offered as much tasteful comfort as it was possible for a room of its inches to do. Esther waited anxiously for the effect. The colonel warmed his hands at the blaze and took his seat on the sofa, eyeing things suspiciously. "'What sort of a place is this we have come to?' were his first words. "'Don't you think it is a comfortable place, Papa? This chimney draws beautifully, and the coal is excellent. It is really a very nice little house, Papa. I think it will be comfortable.' "'Not very large,' said the colonel, taking with his eye the measure of the room. "'No, Papa, and none the worse for that. Room enough for you, and room enough for me, and quite room enough for Barker, who has to take care of it all. I like the house very much. What sort of a street is it?' "'Must that question come up to-night?' Esther hesitated. "'I thought, sir, the street was of less importance to us than the home. It is very comfortable.' and the rent is so moderate that we can pay our way and be at ease. Papa, I would not like the finest house in the world if I had to run in debt to live in it. What is the name of the street? 
Major Street. Whereabouts is it? In the darkness I could not see where we were going. Papa, it is in the east part of the city, not very far from the river. Fulton Market is not very far off either, which is convenient. Who lives here? asked the colonel, with a gathering frown on his brow. I know none of the people, nor even their names. Of course not, but you know, I suppose, what sort of people they are? They are plain people, Papa. They are not of our class. They seem to be decent people. Decent? What do you mean by decent? Papa, I mean not disorderly people, not disreputable. And is not that enough for us, Papa? Oh, Papa, does it matter what the people are, so long as our house is nice and pretty and warm, and the low rent just relieves us from all our difficulties? Papa, do be pleased with it. I think it is the very best thing we could have done. Esther, there are certain things that one owes to oneself. Yes, sir, but must we not pay our debts to other people first? Debts? We were not in debt to anybody. Yes, Papa, to more than one, and I saw no way out of the difficulty till I heard of this house, and I am so relieved now. You cannot think with what a relief. If only you are pleased, dear Papa. He must know so much of the truth, Esther said to herself with rapid calculation. The Colonel did not look pleased, it must be confessed. All the prettiness and pleasantness on which Esther had counted to produce a favorable impression seemed to fail of its effect indeed seemed not to be seen the colonel leaned his head on his hand and uttered something very like a groan so this is what we have come to he said you do not know what you have done esther esther said nothing to that her throat seemed to be choked she looked at her beautiful little fire and had some trouble to keep tears from starting my dear you did it for the best i do not doubt her father added presently I only regret that I was not consulted before an irrevocable step was taken. Esther could find nothing to answer. It is quite true that a man remains himself, whatever he does that is not morally wrong. It is true that our real dignity is not changed. Nevertheless, people pass in the world not for what they are, but for what they seem to be. Oh, Papa, do you think that? Esther cried, but the colonel went on, not heeding her. So... If you take to making shoes, it will be supposed that you are no better than a cobbler. And if you choose your boat among washerwomen, you will be credited with tastes and associations that fit you for your surroundings. Have we that sort of a neighborhood? he asked suddenly. I do not know, Papa, Esther said meekly. The colonel fairly groaned again. It was getting to be more than she could stand. Papa, she said gently, we have done the best we knew. At least I have, and the necessity is not one of our own making. Let us take what the Lord gives. I think he has given us a great deal, and I would rather, for my part, that people thought anything of us, rather than that we should miss our own good opinion. I do not know just what the inhabitants are, round about here, but the street is at least clean and decent, and within our own walls we need not think about it. Inside it is very comfortable, Papa. The colonel was silent now, not, however, seeming to see the comfort. There was a little interval, during which Esther struggled for calmness and a clear voice. When she spoke, her voice was very clear. Barker has tea ready, Papa, I see. I hope that will be as good as ever, and better, for we have got something you like. Shall we go in? 
It is in the other room. Why is it not here, as usual, in my room? I do not see any reason for the change. It saves the mess of crumbs on the floor in this room, and then it saves Barker a good deal of trouble to have the table there. Why should Barker be saved trouble here more than where we have come from? I do not understand. We had Christopher there, Papa. Here Barker has no one to help her, except what I can do. It must be the same thing to have tea in one room or in another, I should think. Esther could have represented that the other room was just at the head of the kitchen stairs, while to serve the tea on the colonel's table would cost a good many more steps. But she had no heart for any further representations. With her own hands, and with her own feet, which were by this time wearily tired, she patiently went back and forth between the two rooms, bringing plates and cups and knives and forks, and tea tray, and bread and butter and honey and partridge and salt and pepper, from the one table to the other, which, by the way, had first to be cleared of its own load of books and writing materials. Esther deposited these on the floor and on chairs, and arranged the table for tea, and pushed it into the position her father was accustomed to light. The tea kettle she left on its trivet before the grate in the other room, and now made journeys uncounted between that room and this, to take and fetch the teapot. Talk languished meanwhile, for the spirit of talk was gone from Esther, and the colonel, in spite of his discomfiture, developed a remarkably good appetite. When he had done, Esther carried everything back again. "'Why do you do that?' "'Where is Parker?' her father demanded at last. "'Parker has been exceedingly busy all day, "'putting down carpets and arranging her storeroom. "'I am sure she is tired.' "'I suppose you are tired, too, are you not?' "'Yes, Papa.' "'He said no more, however, and Esther finished her work, "'and then sat down on a cushion at the corner of the fireplace "'in one of those moods belonging to tired mind and body.' in which one does not seem at the moment to care any longer about anything. The lively, blazing coal fire shone on a warm, cozy little room, and on two somewhat despondent figures. For his supper had not brightened the colonel up a bit. He sat brooding. Perhaps his thoughts took the road that Esther's had often followed lately, for he suddenly came out with a name now early spoken between them. "'It is a long while that we have heard nothing from the Dallases.' Yes, said Esther apathetically. Mr. Dallas used to write to me now and then. They are busy with their own concerns, and we are out of sight. Why should they remember us? They used to be good neighbors in Seaforth. Pitt, Papa, I do not think his father and mother were ever especially fond of us. Pitt never writes to me now, the colonel went on, after a pause. He is busy with his concerns. He has forgotten us, too. I suppose he has plenty of other things to think of. Oh, I have given up Pitt long ago. The colonel brooded over his thoughts a while, then raised his head and looked again over the small room. My dear, it would have been better to stay where we were, he said regretfully. Esther could not bear to pain him by again reminding him that their means would not allow it, and as her father lay back upon the sofa and closed his eyes, she went away into the other room and sat down at the corner of that fire, where the partition wall screened her from view, for she wanted to let her head drop on her knees and be still, and a few tears that she could not help came hot to her eyes. She had worked so hard to get everything in nice order for her father, 
she had so hoped to see him pleased and contented, and now he was so illogically discontented. Truly he could tell her nothing she did not already know about the disadvantages of their new position, and they all rushed upon Esther's mind at this minute with renewed force. The pleasant country and the shining river were gone. She would no longer see the lights on the Jersey shore when she got up in the morning. The air would not come sweet and fresh to her windows. There would be no singing of birds or fragrance of flowers around her, even in summer. She would have only the streets and the street cries and noises and dust and unsweet breath. The house would do inside. But outside, what a change! And though Esther was not very old in the world, nor very worldly wise for her years, she knew, if not as well as her father, yet she knew, that in Major Street she was pretty nearly cut off from all social intercourse with her kind. Her school experience and observation had taught her so much. She knew that her occupation as a teacher in a school was enough of itself to put her out of the way of invitations, and that an abode in Major Street pretty well finished the matter. Esther had not been a favorite among her school companions in the best of times. She was of too uncommon a beauty, perhaps. Perhaps she was too different from them in other respects. Pleasant as she always was, she was nevertheless separate from her fellows by a great separation of nature, and that is a thing not only felt on both sides, but never forgiven by the inferiors. Miss Gainsborough, daughter of a rich and influential retired officer, would, however, have been sought eagerly and welcomed universally. Miss Gainsborough, the schoolteacher, daughter of an unknown somebody who lived in Major Street, was another matter, hardly a desirable acquaintance. For what should she be desired? Esther had not been without a certain dim perception of all this, and it came to her with special disagreeableness just then, when every thought came that could make her dissatisfied with herself and with her lot. Why had her father ever come away from England, where friends and relations could not have failed? Why had he left Seaforth, where at least they were living like themselves, and where they would not have dropped out of the knowledge of Pitt Dallas? The feeling of loneliness crept again over Esther, and a feeling of having to fight her way, as it were, single-handed. Was this little house, and Major Street, henceforth to be the scene and sphere of her life and labors? How could she ever work up out of it into anything better? Esther was tired, and felt blue, which was the reason why all these thoughts and others chased through her mind, and more than one tear rolled down and dropped on her stuffed gown. Then she gathered herself up. How had she come to Major Street and to school teaching? Not by her own will or fault. Therefore it was part of the training assigned for her by a wisdom that is perfect and a love that never forgets. And Esther began to be ashamed of herself. What did she mean by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, if she could not trust him to take care of his sheep? And now, how had she been helped out of her difficulties, enabled to pay her debts, brought to a home where she could live and be clear of the world? Yes, and live pleasantly, too? And as for being alone, Esther rose with a smile. Can I not trust the Lord for that, too, she thought? If it is his will I should be alone, then that is the very best thing for me, and perhaps he will come nearer than if I had other distractions to take my eyes in another direction. Barker came in to remove the tea things, and Esther met her with a smile, the brightness of which much cheered the good woman. "'Was the pheasant good, Mum?' she asked in a whisper. "'Capital, Barker, and the honey, and Papa made a very good supper. 
and I am so thankful, Barker, for the house is very nice, and we are moved. End of chapter 32 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona